Welcome to EGN Leadership Conversations, the untold secrets of the C-suite. I will be speaking with industry leaders on hot and trending topics. Enjoy the podcast. Today I have with us Alan Stone, the head of IT emerging markets for Microsoft. Alan is with us here to talk about why the aging society matters to technology companies. And before we jump into the topic, a warm one. Welcome, Alan. How are you today? I'm really well, Nick. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time with me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Would you like to start by introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure. So as you said, uh, my name's Alan. I'm based out of Singapore, although I'm sure listeners can hear my accent. That's not where I'm from. Uh, originally Irish and have moved around the world a little bit um, in my career. I've been in Singapore quite a while now and have been with Microsoft since 1999. And prior to that, I worked for a company in Ireland called Waterford Bush in multiple areas. And the role I have at Microsoft is to be a leader in an organization called Microsoft Digital Employee Experience. Uh, and what we do in that organization is we lead the transformational conversation within Microsoft with its local businesses around the world. We support the, the growth of our digital capabilities so that Microsoft can succeed. And we also provide local context. So we look at what's happening from a socioeconomic perspective, from a product development perspective, from an industry perspective, and from a customer zero perspective, we offer Microsoft back opportunities to improve our own products, to think about how products can land in different areas. And so that mix of how we enable our own employees at Microsoft and how we enable Microsoft build products which support not just our own employees, but the billions of customers the company has around the world, sort of led me on this journey to think about uh, societal trends such as aging. And think about what that really means for us as a company, as well as what it means for a society and industry. That's very fascinating, Alan. And uh, you have had such a vast experience with Microsoft and gone through so many changes, I'm sure. So uh, I'm inspired here and I want to hear more about it. So let's jump into the topic then about why the aging society matters to techno tech companies. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? Sure. The first thing to think about is just world demographics. So right now, about 9% of the world's population is over 65. By 2050, according to the United Nations, that will be 16%. In the US and in Europe, it will be 25%. So here in Asia, it's a bit more of a mixed picture. China, Japan are actually aging quite quickly. Singapore also is aging quite quickly. Then you've got uh, countries like Indonesia, India, which are still on the younger side. But the path of travel generally is clearly that the world is getting older. At the same time, as you know, we're in the midst of a fourth industrial revolution where technology really is becoming the central plank of how we engage, not just in a business context, but in a personal, emotional, social context. So the question becomes, in a world where we are technology led and we are getting older, are the companies that are at the heart of this transformation representing the, the markets they serve, building the products that will enable us to be productive and um, social and contributory as we get older? Uh, and it's, it's sort of an interesting dilemma for companies because 
technology has always been positioned and has positioned itself as a young person's game. Right? The, the demographics around technology companies tend to skew young. So that's where the, the dilemma comes. We have an industry which biases towards youth, which really is central to a world which is biasing towards age. Hmm. So, so what should tech companies then do to be ready for this? There are a couple of things to do in the research that I've done. So when I started thinking about this, um, I, I enrolled in a doctoral program where they called the Ponce to the school in Paris to really research because the first thing to say is there is very little research on how technology companies and technology industry is thinking about managing this demographic and this phenomenon. So I thought, okay, if nobody can tell me, I better go find out for myself. And over the past couple of years, myself and a guy called Nick Harkin-Lockes have been interviewing representatives of different tech groups, um, folks who are in the DEI space, folks who are in the HR space, who are managers, people managers in those organizations, to get a view for how these large companies, usually or always, in this case, US multinationals, think about age. And the short answer is most aren't. When you read the DNI reports of most technology companies, there are there's a big focus on, as you'd expect, on gender, on ethnicity, much more focus recently, which is fabulous, on you know physical ability, neurodiversity, and so on. There is never a conversation about age, um, and getting data around age profiles of companies is quite difficult. So I think the first thing that companies should do, understanding the context of where we are globally is open that conversation. What does it mean to us to have an environment where we have got generational diversity? And what's the benefit of that? You know, to give you one example, we tend to think sort of, you know, just in our general knowledge that innovation is something that is driven by youth. And certainly in the research that we've done, when we spoke to recruiters, there was this similarity bias that we hire young people because they're more innovative. Actually, what the research shows is that innovation peaks between 45 and 55 from an age perspective. So kind of interesting, right? Most people, when I say that to them, kind of look at me and go, huh. But this idea that you know, only young people set up technology companies, only young people innovate, is actually not proven by the data. And so what technology companies can do is start to look at the groups involved in product development, the groups involved in scoping the future, and thinking, how do I ensure I have a perspective that brings innovation that's, that's grounded in experience and also has a perspective that thinks about how will we work in the future? So, mm. you know, research at the moment shows that software developers are considered old at 40 in the industry. Um, and in a world that's aging, software developers are kind of nervous, which is also what the, the research shows that people are conscious that oh, I'm heading into my 40s. I don't know what my future looks like. So the second thing that companies can do is think proactively about talent management. And in many companies, not just on the tech side, we think about career growth and talent management in terms of moving up the ladder, getting more accountability, getting more responsibility, managing more people. Actually, as people get older, they don't always want to keep moving up and take on more accountability. What they want to do is support the growth of others and offer their experience and knowledges in ways that keep moving the company forward. So there are multiple career paths possible, it seems, as people age within an organization. Um, 
However, companies haven't really built that into career planning, into their talent management, around how we invest in developing new skills as people get older. We tend to kind of strengthen the skills they have. And while that works when you're on the sort of the early stages of career, later on, particularly in a world which is driven by cloud and driven by um, large platform plays, actually what we're seeing is the skills that are most in demand are going back to those human skills, interaction skills, who can articulate the value of transformation, who can talk about change and manage change and frame the actual you know, digital bits and bytes within a context that matters to people. Uh, and what the research shows is that older workers are better at that than younger workers. So basically, without making it too complicated, there's room for everybody. The organizations would benefit from thinking constructively about that room for everybody and how we mix and enable people to self-actualize. This is very interesting, Alan. And I and I just have one reflection here. I mean, there's so, so much talk about zero waste, sustainability, and so on, and that is where everyone is going. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why, you know, we, we, we focus on decommissioning and all these things instead, and perhaps we forget about, you know, being closer to the consumer and the back to basic here, as you say, we have aging consumers. What products and services do they want? And as you said, uh, and very interesting statistics you shared uh, uh, with us as well, that it's a much bigger market in, in the future. And um, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Alan. Anything else you want to share about this well, uh, further to, you know, how do we target these uh, consumers then? And you mentioned that we perhaps should come closer to them and help them uh, help them to help you to develop the products. Uh, any more tips around that? I think there's a couple of things, particularly for large tech companies or companies that involve with that involve with government. So, for example, it seems that the reason that older people do not engage with government as much as they used to, is there has been a race to put government onto technology platforms. Again, these platforms haven't been designed for accessibility generally, I would say, and certainly for accessibility for older people. So as governments think about how they engage with what will become a larger part of their population, technology companies can play a central role in ensuring that the experiences that are designed are accessible and usable to people as they age. Mm -hmm. The second thing, as, as I said, is we will benefit from keeping people in the technology workforce longer. Um, you know, the retirement age of 65 was actually invented by the German government in the 19th century with a view to looking at minors. And most minors died by the time they were 65 in the 19th century. So governments could say, we'll pay your pension after that, knowing it wouldn't really be a problem. With healthcare the way it is now, people are living much longer and have potential to be productive for much longer. And so I really like what you said, Nick, around sustainability and this idea of enabling people to stay useful uh, and stay contributing for as long as possible. We should bear in mind that the retirement age of 65 is actually an arbitrary age that was implemented in the 19th century, where the German government didn't want to really pay pensions to minors, so they set an age where most minors didn't live to. In the modern world where people live and are healthy for much, much longer, this ability to contribute for as long as you want in the way that you want becomes super important, not just in terms of productivity of technology companies, but actually in terms of governmental and national sustainability. Because the cost of pensions in, a, in the majority of the OECD world is now twice the national sort of income. So governments need to think ahead on that. 
Um, and the last thing I'll say on this is there is a concept of intersectionality that just like we shouldn't think of gender as a standalone issue, we shouldn't think of age as a standalone issue. The reality is they intersect. And so, for example, older women are poorer than older men because the issues that have impacted gender over their career are amplified in age. The same thing happens with uh, minority ethnic groups, for example. So age is something that's actually at the heart of our existence as humans, is at the heart of our ability as consumers and as uh, employees. Putting that at the center, it's something that's gonna to come to us all. It's something that is not just the right thing for business, but actually the right thing for society. I like that. Thank you so much for tying it all together there, Alan. I just have one last question then. How can a company uh, make sense of this or basically leverage the, the targeting the aging population as a competitive edge? There are a couple of recommendations that came out of the research. Um, the first thing is to be really clear from a recruitment perspective that there is no similarity bias. The research is pretty clear that, from a, that technology companies in their hiring process do exhibit bias towards youth. There's a lot of talk about digital natives, about energy, all of these words which are actually exclusionary. And so being conscious about how we recruit and being age blind is one thing. Being aware that innovation can and does happen later in life and building teams which have, yes, young people with fresh ideas and older people who can couch those ideas in context that matters is uh, a second part. And the third thing is just drive awareness. Most companies in the technology space don't measure their age profiles, don't think about this aspect of diversity and don't publish it. So building that awareness, ensuring there's not bias, and then proactively using the capabilities of all the workers are three relatively straightforward ways to get started on this journey. Fantastic. Very exciting uh, to listen to you, Alan. You have so much insights with us today. Uh, so we want to thank you for being on the show today. And if anyone or the listeners want to continue this conversation, uh, what is the best way of them contacting you? So you can contact me on LinkedIn. Alan Stone, um, or feel free to drop me an email, alanpstone at hotmail.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Alan. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Nick. Great talking to you. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to EGN Leadership Conversations, the untold secret of the C-suite. 